0: Hey, good morning, everybody. Great to see all of you here today. If you're visiting with us, I want to welcome you to Plum Creek. We are in week number three of a series called Awestruck, and this series is part of a long journey through the life and the ministry of Jesus. And I want to begin today by asking one of the most important questions anyone could ever ask, maybe the most important. The question is, who is Jesus? Now, in a way, we try to answer that question every week here at Plum Creek, but today is a little different. We're going to look at a passage of Scripture where Jesus himself deals with that question. In this passage, Jesus has a conversation with his disciples, and this conversation leaves them awestruck. Jesus begins by asking, What do other people say about me? What's the word on the street? And b- before we hear how the disciples answered that, I thought maybe we should come up with our own answer. So let's think about this. If we went all over the United States and we asked people this question Who is Jesus? What do you think we would hear? What would people say about him? Well, you and I both know we'd get all kinds of answers. So I went looking for an official survey and I found a study that was conducted a few years ago by the Barna Research Group. And I thought the results were very interesting. So I'll, I'll share some of what they found. Here's what other people said about Jesus. First, the Barna Group went to people and they asked, do you believe that Jesus Christ was a real person, that he actually lived? Now, by percentage, how many people do you think said yes to that? The actual number was 92%. Now, I don't know what you expected, but to me, that, that's surprisingly high. Here's another question from the study. They said, do you believe that Jesus Christ was God? Not just a great moral teacher, not just an inspiring leader, but truly divine. What do you think people said to that? Well, this time only 56% of Americans agreed. You know, the Bible clearly states that Jesus is God, but 44% of people say, "Eh, I don't think so. So that's a big drop from the First question, but uh, here's another one. How many people believe that Jesus committed sins like other people? He wasn't flawless. Now and then, he made some willful decisions to do wrong. According to the study, 52% of Americans believe that's true. And once again, that's in direct conflict with Scripture. The Bible says that Jesus was tempted in every way, just like us, but he was without sin. One last question. The study asked, have you made a personal commitment to Jesus Christ that's still important today? 62% of people said, yes, I have made a commitment to Jesus. And this one is interesting because if you look at specific generations, the numbers are very different. For example, among the generation called elders, which is anyone born between 1981 and 1996— 71% said, yes, I've made a commitment to Jesus. But then among millennials, which is those born between 81 and 96, 46% said yes. So there's a clear trend here. The younger you are in this country, the less likely you've made a commitment to Jesus that still matters today. Now, we could sit down and talk about those numbers for a while, but sooner or later... We have to stop talking about other people. At some point, you've got to answer the question for yourself. Who is Jesus to you? What do you say? Do you believe that Jesus was a real historical person? Odds are you probably do. But what about those other questions? Do you believe that Jesus was not just a man, but that he was God in the flesh? Do you line up with the Bible on that? Or would you agree with the skeptics? And then what about his character? Do you believe that Jesus was morally perfect? Or would you say, yeah, he probably committed a few sins like everybody else. And then there's that final question. Have you made a personal commitment to Jesus? Uh, If you answer that question by saying yes, I would follow up and say, well, what do you mean by that? Does that personal commitment have an impact on your everyday life? Or is it more about trying to go to church on the Sundays when you don't have something else going on? Is following Jesus at the core of who you are? Or are you letting him guide every decision that you make on a daily basis? Or would you say, eh, the truth is, following Jesus is, is just one part of my life. It's one commitment among lots of different commitments. And I'm not trying to make anyone feel bad here, but... We do need to have a clear answer to this question. According to you, who is Jesus? However you answer that question, there will be all kinds of ramifications. We'll see that as we dig into Scripture today. We're going to hear Jesus make several statements that were mind-blowing back in the first century. And they're still mind-blowing today. If you have a Bible with you, open up to Matthew chapter 16. That's where we'll be hanging out this morning. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along up on the screen. We're going to read Matthew 16, verses 13 to 28. But before we do that, I need to give you a heads up. This is one of the most controversial passages in the whole Bible. Scholars have argued for hundreds of years about how to interpret certain words and certain phrases in this passage. And because of that controversy... We could go down several deep rabbit holes this morning, but if we do that, we might just miss the big idea. We might not see how God wants us to apply this passage to our lives. So I just want you to know we're not going down any rabbit holes today, at least not very far. So let's dive in. First, I'll give you some context. We're now well into the third year of Jesus' ministry. And you might remember that his ministry was about three years total, so there's not a ton of time left. The crucifixion is on the horizon. And there's a problem here. Even though the disciples have spent two years with Jesus, they're still not quite clear about his identity. And that's got to change because it's crunch time. So Jesus has this pivotal conversation with his disciples. He takes them away from the crowds, away from everything that's familiar, and he leads them on a trek up to Gentile territory, about 25 miles north of the Sea of Galilee. They stop at a town called Caesarea Philippi. And that's where we'll pick up the story. Matthew 16, verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, Some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. And still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. So like I said, Jesus kicks off this important conversation by asking, what do others say about me? And let's pause for a second here. Why would Jesus ask that question? It's a little odd, isn't it? Uh, Does he really not know? I mean, we've already seen that he can read minds. And then on top of that, you've got to ask, why would Jesus even care what people think? Based on his track record, he sure doesn't seem to care. Well, I believe the purpose of this question is not to gather information. I believe Jesus wants to get the disciples thinking. And that's what they do. They think back on what they've heard, and they bring up a few examples. And I think it's kind of funny. Uh, They only mention the positive comments. The disciples were well aware that Jesus had plenty of enemies. There were lots of people out there criticizing him and condemning him. So maybe the disciples are just trying to protect his feelings here. So they mention a few heroes like John the Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah. These men were all prophets. And they all had a few things in common. All three of these guys were very outspoken. They never pulled any punches. They were out there speaking against religious leaders, political powers of the day, and they also took a lot of heat for that. In fact, John the Baptist had been executed not long before this. So the disciples are pointing out the fact that Jesus is a great prophet. He's the latest in a long line of prophets who were all faithful to God. And in a way, that's not a bad answer because Jesus was a prophet. At the end of the day, though, That answer is woefully inadequate, because Jesus is not just a prophet. So he turns that question on the disciples themselves. Verse 15, what about you, he asked, who do you say that I am? Now, I'm sure the disciples knew this was a loaded question. And nobody wants to say the, right, the wrong thing here. So if you're one of those disciples, you might take a step back. You might avoid eye contact with Jesus. But all of a sudden, Simon Peter speaks up. And you've got to love Peter. Peter was the no-filter disciple. If he had something to say, he couldn't hold it in. It just came out. And I know some of us here are a lot like that. In fact, why don't we just do a poll? How many of you would say, yeah, that's me? Most of the time, if I think it, I'm probably going to say it. Let's see a show of hands. Yeah, a few of you, but not everybody. There are other kinds of people. How many of you would say, yeah, there are lots of times I think of something that I want to say, but I usually hold back. I I, I don't say it. How many of you would say that? Yeah, maybe maybe a few more. One more category, though. Um, How many of you would say yeah, I, I usually think of the perfect thing to say, but the problem is I don't think of it until a few hours or a few days later. Anybody? That's definitely me. Uh, just the other day, I, I was in a conversation that was pretty intense, and the other person made this comment, and I froze up. I, I didn't say anything. By the way, this was not my wife. But then later, I was lying in bed, and I thought of it. I was like, oh, man, that would have been a great comeback. But it's too late then, right? You can't go back to that person and say, hey, remember what you said to me last week? Guess what? I got my comeback. (laughs) No, you can't do that. It's old news by that point. But Simon Peter here, he thought of it, and he said it. No hesitation. Jesus asks that big question, who do you say that I am? And Peter speaks for the whole group. Verse 16. Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the Living God. Now, some of us are very familiar with this quote, but let's try to shake off that familiarity for a second. Because what Peter says here is very new. It's by far the most accurate statement about Jesus from any human in the Gospels up to this point. And you can see there are basically two titles here, right? First, Peter calls Jesus the Messiah. Or you might have a translation where he says, you are the Christ. But both of those words mean the same thing. Messiah is a Hebrew title, and Christ is the Greek version of that word. And both Christ and Messiah mean anointed one. The Messiah is the one who's anointed by God to bring salvation to his people. And that's who Jesus is. Jesus was sent by God to, to be the Savior of the world. The other title here is The Son of the Living God. And with this title, Peter says that Jesus is no ordinary man. He is human, but uh, he's, he's got this special connection to God himself. And you know, at this point, Peter doesn't know exactly what that means. He's not talking about the Trinity. Uh, he, there's a lot he still doesn't understand. At the same time, though, He's right. And so this is a historic moment. Jesus makes, or Peter makes a definitive statement about the identity of Jesus. And this statement will be used for centuries to come. In fact, if you've ever been baptized, or if you've seen someone baptized here at Plum Creek, we use these same words. Before someone is lowered into the water, they repeat this phrase, I believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of the living God. So Peter makes this bold claim, and then Jesus has this amazing response. Look at verse 17. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. Now, imagine that you are Peter hearing these words. He had to be saying, Yes, I nailed it! And I could see the other disciples going, Why didn't I say that? But the truth is, Peter couldn't take credit for that answer. Jesus is like, yeah, Peter, I've been watching you for the past two years. There's no way you thought of that yourself. And it's true. God is the one who revealed that truth. But as it turns out, Peter is kind of special. Jesus has a few more things to say to him. So let's reread verse 17, and this time we'll keep going. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Okay, remember what I said about going down a rabbit hole? Uh, right here is where we could do that. Um, but I don't want to skip over these verses entirely, so let me give you a quick rundown. What exactly is Jesus saying about Peter here? As I studied this week, I saw that there are two extreme interpretations to this passage. With one extreme Certain people say that right here, Jesus sets up an elaborate doctrine where Peter is the first pope, and Peter's authority will pass down to every pope who comes after him. That's what the Roman Catholic Church would say. On the other extreme, certain people try to downplay the fact that Peter was a significant leader in the early church. And according to their interpretation, when Jesus says, on this rock I will build my church, That word rock only refers to Peter's confession. His confession is the foundation of the church. Now, we could get into all kinds of Greek and Aramaic here, but the bottom line is that, yes, Peter's confession is foundational. But then there's also no question that Peter plays a huge role as a leader in the early church. That's part of what Jesus is saying here. On the other hand, though, There's no reason to believe that Jesus is setting up some complicated structure or hierarchy where Peter is the first in a long line of popes who will operate like some monarch over the church. Now, if you would like to sit down and study this further, shoot me an email. I'd be glad to meet up with whoever's interested and we could dig a little deeper. We could also look at what Jesus means by the gates of Hades or the keys of the kingdom or all of that. But like I said, I want to make sure we apply this passage to our lives, so we're going to keep going. And let's remember this. Peter has made this amazing statement. His confession, it marks a new level of understanding among the disciples. They're finally starting to see who Jesus really is, and that means it's time for them to go to the next level. Jesus needs to explain what he's about to do. He's entering the home stretch of his ministry. He's turning toward the finish line. It's the climax of his mission. He's headed straight for the crucifixion and the resurrection. So here's what happens. Verse 21. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. we're currently in this series called awestruck but when the disciples heard jesus start talking like this i'm not sure awestruck is the best word for their response a better word might be dumbstruck this just this didn't make sense to the disciples the messiah is not supposed to suffer and die so somebody's got to speak up about this and guess who volunteers to say something it's our boy peter right look at the next verse Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Now, Peter means well. He really does. He wants good things for Jesus. He also wants a Messiah who will be successful in this mission of bringing salvation to God's people. So Peter says, Jesus, this can't be God's plan. No way. There's no way he would allow you to suffer like that. You're going to be a conqueror, not a victim. So Peter rebukes Jesus. And yeah, that wasn't a good idea. Peter's about to get rebuked himself, and it's not pretty. Verse 23, Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. You know, there are several places in the Gospels where Jesus says some harsh things, especially to the religious leaders. But no one anywhere gets a tongue lashing quite like this. I mean, Jesus calls Peter Satan. What's up with that? After all, Peter's just trying to be protective of Jesus. Well, here's the truth. When Peter says to Jesus, no, you'll, you'll never go through that kind of suffering, that, that death, Peter actually is following in the footsteps of Satan. Think about that time when Jesus was tempted by Satan out in the desert. What happened there? Satan offered Jesus a shortcut. He promised a, a quick and easy way to fame and fortune and success. In fact, he was saying, you don't have to suffer, Jesus. You don't have to die. You can have everything you want without going to the cross. But Jesus understood his mission very well. The cross was not optional. But now for the disciples and the rest of the Jews, the cross was totally unexpected. They expected a Messiah who would conquer as a king. This king would liberate them from Rome and set up an earthly kingdom. But that's not what God had in mind. Yes, Jesus was a conquering king, but he would conquer as a suffering servant. And yes, Jesus would liberate God's people, but his liberation would be from sin and death. The crucifixion was central to that mission because it was on the cross that he would bear the punishment that you and I deserve because of our sin. So for Jesus to accomplish his mission, there was no shortcut around that suffering. But of course, Jesus would have been tempted to avoid that suffering, He was God, but he was also human. So he didn't want to experience that torture. And when that rebuke came from Peter, that really was a temptation from the devil himself. And then when Jesus rebuked Peter in return, man, he must have felt terrible. Especially after getting that pat on the back just a little bit earlier. And I could picture the other disciples standing off to the side and saying, Peter, Jesus took you down a few notches, didn't he? But really, there was no time to stand around and gloat because Jesus had some hard words for all of the disciples. And by the way, these hard words are for us as well. Let's read starting with verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple Truly, I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Okay, so a minute ago, Jesus was talking about denying himself and taking up his cross. But now, the tables have turned. Jesus says, if you want to follow me, you have to follow my example. You have to lay down your own life. You have to pick up your own cross. And here, Jesus is not preaching a popular message, is he? I mean, if a marketing firm came in as consultants for Jesus, I'm sure they would tell him to take a different approach. They'd be like, Jesus, this is not attractional Christianity. This is going to be a hard sell. Uh, The marketers would tell Jesus to preach a different version of Christianity, maybe one that is fairly common today. Instead of pick up your cross and follow me, it says pick up your blessing and follow me. Pick up your check and follow me. Or maybe you're familiar with this version. Some of us grew up with a type of Christianity that says pick up your fire insurance to get you out of hell and then just follow your dreams. Do whatever you feel like doing and then march straight into heaven. Listen, there's no way around it if we are going to be genuine followers of Jesus, we need to get serious about denying ourselves, denying our own desires, and letting him be in charge instead of running our own lives. You know, I thought about that this week. I thought, how will this sound to someone who's visiting Plum Creek for the first time? Kind of like, Hey, we're really glad you're here. You're going to love this Jesus guy. He's going to tell you to deny yourself and pick up a cross and lose your life. I can see the average person having a few questions or concerns about that. But here's the thing, and make sure you hear me on this. It goes back to that first question. Who is Jesus? Who do you say that he is? Are you on the same page with Peter? Do you believe that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God? Because if so, there are some major implications. If Jesus is truly the Messiah, and if God sent him for our salvation, and if he laid down his life for you, then you can trust him. You can trust that he has your best interests in mind. Yes, he does call us to self-denial. Yes, he calls us to lay down our lives and our desires and our agendas, but he does that because he wants what is best for us. Jesus says, follow me. There is a cost, but it's going to be worth it. Now, the devil is the opposite of that. He tells you, you can have whatever you want, but it's a lie. The devil lowers the price tag. He makes all kinds of promises, but his way is will cost you your soul. The, the kind of happiness the devil offers, it only lasts for just a moment. But Jesus offers a happiness that does have a cost up front. It does involve suffering here short term. But his happiness and his joy and his peace will last forever. So let's be clear about this. The message of Jesus says, the only way to find true life is to lay down your own life and your own desires for Christ. And listen, just like Satan used Peter to tempt Jesus, he's going to use any means available to try and get to you. He may use your own thoughts, your own desires. He may even use your own friends. You may hear a voice in your ear that says something like this, something like, come on, God wants you to be happy. You you go ahead and do that thing you want to do. Follow your feelings. You do you. That's what Peter said to Jesus. Amen. if you have friends giving you that kind of advice, it's time to listen to some different friends. It's time to listen to the voice of Jesus. The voice of Jesus says, I'm sorry, you can't have everything this world has to offer and then eternal life too. But if you trust in me, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to be with you from now until forever. You see, our self-denial only makes sense if Peter was right about Jesus. If Peter was right, then Jesus is worth it. Whatever sacrifice you have to make in this life, whatever surrender you have to do, it all fades in comparison with Jesus. Nothing in this world is worth trading your soul away, but Jesus is worth it. So, where do we go from here? In a few minutes, we're going to get up and walk out of this place. And we have two choices. We're either going to do something with the words of Jesus, or we'll go back to life as usual. And I'm convinced Jesus is not calling us to go back to life as usual. I'm convinced that this command to deny ourselves, it's not some abstract concept. There is a specific way in which Jesus is calling you to lay down your life, to pick up your cross today. We've been in the Gospel of Matthew this morning, but if you skip over to Luke's version of this passage, uh, Jesus adds one important word. In Luke 9.23, Jesus says, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. So what does it mean to take up your cross daily? Well, it means that every single day, in some way, Jesus will tell you to deny yourself and do what he wants instead. And yeah, that's not always easy. But it's always for our own good. It's always for the good of God's kingdom. (laughs) So let's get specific. Let's deny ourselves. Let's lay down our lives today. And how can we do that? Well, let's start by going back to that first question. Who is Jesus? Where do you stand? Is Jesus the Christ, the Son of the living God? Make your own decision about that, or confirm a decision you made in the past. And if your answer is yes, then you move on and identify how Jesus is calling you to deny yourself and pick up your cross. I'll give you a few suggestions on that in just a moment. And then finally, once you're clear on what he's calling you to do, take a step. Take a step toward Jesus that's uncomfortable or difficult for you to take. And if it's an easy step, you're not really denying yourself of anything, right? Jesus will often lead us to do things that are extremely intimidating, but he will give you the strength to do it. Now, for a lot of us, it's easy to get hung up on that second part. How do I know? How how do I know exactly what Jesus is calling me to do? Well, this is actually easier than you might think, because when we read God's word, he does guide us in very specific ways. I'll give you a few examples. First, if you have never made a clear decision to follow Jesus, That is absolutely something he's calling you to do. He invites you to begin a life-changing relationship with him, to put your faith in him, to turn away from your old sinful life, to be baptized, to begin a new life. Uh, While I'm on the subject of baptism, that could be your step. Some of you have never made your own decision to step into the water and be immersed into Christ. That's a clear command from Jesus. Baptism is about laying down your old life, being buried in the water, and raising up to live a new life. Sounds a lot like that passage we've read today, right? This is a decision that no one else can make for you. Uh, So if that's the step you need to take, I want you to know you could be baptized as soon as possible, even today. Uh, We'd be happy to help you with that. Another possible step is to connect with other followers of Jesus. There are several ways you can do that here at Plum Creek. As we said earlier, you can jump into a life group or one of the Bible studies that we have here on Sunday morning. You could start serving in a ministry where you would help us accomplish our mission of leading people to a life-changing relationship with Jesus. If you need to get connected here in any way, the best thing you could do is come to our Discover Lunch next week. It'll be right after this service. It's a free lunch. Child care is provided. All you have to do is let us know you're coming. And to do that, you could stop by the Connection Cafe after service. You could sign up online. Okay, two more suggestions for you. One is to confess and repent of an ongoing sin. And this really is about self-denial, isn't it? Sin is about giving in to desires that we have that are different than what God wants. It may be a a, a pattern of thinking. It may be an attitude that's negative or or critical. It could be an action, something you, you do over and over again, even though you know you shouldn't. You know, the devil would say, It's okay. You don't have to deal with that. God will keep forgiving you, right? But when we have sin in our lives, Jesus calls us to give it up, to lay it down. And I've got a piece of advice that I've learned over the years. If you've confessed that sin to God, but you're still having trouble leaving it in the past, you may need to confess that sin to another person and ask them to hold you accountable is that uncomfortable? Absolutely. Is it humbling? You bet. But God will use that humble self-denial in a powerful way. Okay, last one. Your step may be to reach out to someone who needs Jesus. Today, invite that person to church. Uh, Share your story of how Jesus has made a difference in your life. Point that person to the hope that you have found. So those are my suggestions. I've given you five, but could it be that Jesus is calling you to do something that's not on this list? Sure. But if you do have a step that's not on this list, I'm confident that you also have a step that is on this list. So think about this. Pray about this. But don't stop there. Take the step. I need to do this myself. We all do. Let's get serious about laying down our lives because Jesus is worth it. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your love. I thank you for your grace. I thank you that it's not about us trying hard or being good enough to be forgiven and to have salvation. But we do know there is a cost to being a disciple. Thank you for your truth that Jesus is up front about this. Lord, help us to be willing to lay down our lives and pick up our cross, but also to know that it is so worth it in that moment where we don't feel like making the sacrifice. We don't feel like denying ourselves. Lord, by your Spirit, can you let us know, give us that conviction that it is worth it out of love for you. Lord, I pray that you will help us all identify the step that you would want us to take today and then take it. pray this in Jesus' name, amen.